Well, the question, how do you get to heaven? I mean, how do you? I mean, we say, how do you get to heaven? We could say it another way. How do you have eternal life? How do you have an eternal relationship with God? What do you have to do in order to be saved, to be with Christ forever, be with God forever? We might get some answers like this. Some people say, well, be good. I always thought that just as long as you do more good than bad, you're okay. So being good. Some say live by the golden rule, do unto others as they, you know, as, as you'd have them do unto you. And if you do that, you're fine. Some say, well, keep the Ten Commandments. And of course, there's 613 commandments, so I guess the top ten. You keep the top ten of the 600 and something. Or be a part of a church. There's people, you know, you get connect with the church and you'll be fine. Some say, just try to please God, try to live a good life. There are a lot of things that people say in order to get to God. Well, how does a person get to God? How does a person get to heaven? How can we approach the living God? Well, I want you to see something. Two ways you can approach God. Now, let me say it this way. Two ways that you can try to approach God. One by works, what we do, our goodness. The other by faith, what God does, His plan. I want you to think about that. You can either approach God by what you do and say, I'm going to try to live a good life. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. Or you can come simply by faith, what God does in His plan. Now, I said that there are two ways to try to approach God, but only one will really get you there. Here's the problem. Because when you say, I'm going to approach God by my works and by my goodness, it's not how good I am as compared to other people. It's whether you're perfect or not. I want to quote something. Listen to this. Tom Monahan is the owner of Domino's Pizza, and he owns the Detroit Tigers. How is he approaching God? I read this article. It was in the Daily Oklahoman about a year ago. He said this. He said his accumulation of wealth bothered him. So he says, I've always understood the Bible verse about the rich man getting to heaven that is hard. So Monahan said that he's saying, he's saying three rosaries a day. He's eating only bread and water two days a week. And he no longer works at his $2 million office. Monahan is in his quest for holiness. He's trying to get to heaven by his works. He's given up some of his wealth. He's depriving himself of food on certain days. He is approaching God based on his works. Billy Graham's column. He's still in the paper. Of course, people write in and gives the answer. person writes, Dear Dr. Graham, I've joined the church and I say my prayers and all these things I guess I'm supposed to do, but I'm still empty inside. I want God in my life, but it just seems like something isn't working. We realize there are a lot of people who try to come to God by their works, by their actions, by their goodness, by their somehow thinking to please God. But really, there's only one way to approach God and to please Him, and that is by faith in Jesus Christ. Christ came and He died and rose again. We talked about it this morning, the work of the Messiah, the work of the Savior Jesus. He died on the cross, paid for sin, and rose again. God is pleased in the final sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We come to God when we trust Christ as Savior. We approach God through Jesus Christ and Him alone, and we come on the basis of faith. It is that simple. So... When, and, and, of course, I know most of you, but a question we could ask is, how are you trying to come to God? By your works or by God's provision? I've talked to people in my office. People, sometimes they'll just walk in, you know, they'll say, can I talk to you a minute? And we'll start talking and we'll raise the question. Or, do you think if you were to die, you'd go to heaven or you'd be with God? Yes. Why? Because, well, I've tried to live a good life or I've tried to do this. It is amazing how many people still think that you'd be good and you get to God. The scene in Genesis chapter 4, two sons... From the man and the woman trying to come to God, Cain and Abel, they approach in two different ways. One by works, the other by faith. 
And we want to learn from our portion of God's word and see how this fits together. Now remember, the man and woman had fallen. God confronted them. They both passed the blame. When he came to Adam, he said it was the woman. When he came to the woman, he said it was the serpent. And we, God gave the curses. And we saw that the serpent would be on his belly. And the devil would be crushed by the seed of woman. And woman would be in pain in childbirth. She would have a desire to rule her husband, yet he would rule over her. Man would have to, to work to gain food because the earth was cursed. And there would be physical death. He would return to dust. But in the middle of all the curses, there was the cure. The seed of woman would come and crush the head of the serpent. He would pay for the sins of the world. And God God would send a Savior. Well, as we begin this evening, and that's basically where we left it, because God made the promise, and, and Adam understood that, because he changed his name, his wife's name, and she was called Isha, she was called the woman. He, he gave her the name Eve, which means the living one, or the, the, the mother of living. Or, and so that's what they thought. They thought, now we're going to live, because we were dead, and now we're alive. And so as we begin this chapter, we're going to see a picture of how do you come to God, two sons. Let me give you the kind of a list of real brief outline of just those first eight verses. First of all, we see Cain and Abel. We see the birth of these two sons in the first five verses. We see what they're like. But then we see the conflict and the death. And it's a pretty powerful passage. And I think when we look at it carefully, we'll see, we'll see what's going on. We'll see what happens. And I, th- I think you people always go back about Cain and Abel. Now, one of the things you got to remember, and, and a young person today, a person uh, I think probably 12 years old, came up to me and asked me the question about Cain and Abel. And if they were the only two ones, you know, and, and when Cain got moved out and it says he found a wife and got married, well, where did he find the wife? you got to realize that Cain and Abel aren't the only two children of Adam and Eve. These are the two that we have recorded because they're both a picture. They, we're going to see that they're a picture of the believer and the unbeliever. They had many children. I mean, they lived 900 and something years. And when we see this passage, even though it's going to talk about the birth of the sons, when we get down a little bit further and they bring their sacrifices, they aren't little boys. They're grown men. There's a time gap in here. And there's all kind of children born. There are all kind of people born. And these people are married and have other children and other children. So there's all kind of people out there. And we'll see that as we get a little bit further. But uh, let's think about the Old Testament sacrificial system. There are really two things. The, the sacrificial system, the, all the sacrifices pointed to the coming Messiah, the seed of woman. That's why when they had the sacrifices, it started with God killing the animal, making coats of skin for, for the man and the woman, for Adam and Eve. And then we're going to see all the way up a sacrificial system. How do you approach God? And so that sacrificial system pointed to the Messiah, the seed of woman, and covered man's sin. In the Old Testament, you have to realize that any animal sacrifice, not any, only the ones dealing with sin. There were many animal sacrifices that had nothing to do with sin offerings. You get into Leviticus and you see all the different offerings and there were some who were called sin offerings and peace offerings and thank offerings and all kind of things. But anything dealing with sin, the sacrifices and the shedding of blood covered the sins of man. That's the plan. So, But we realize that when Jesus Christ came, he was the final sacrifice for sin forever. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He didn't come to cover sin. He came to take away sin. He is that final sacrifice. It has been said that Jesus Christ knew that death would not pass over him, but at the cross it would make his final stop. And that's what happened. God allowed the killing of the animals to cover man's sin until the seed would come to pay for sin. Dr. Alan Ross, my seminary professor, one of them, in, one of the Hebrew professors, just he wrote, he wrote a book. He wrote a uh, commentary on the book of Genesis, which I think is the best commentary in print on the book of Genesis. He says this, we see the divine provision. The animal's life is taken. The skin covers their shame. This is the pattern of substitution. As the animal takes man's place, God brings a satisfactory clothing. Later on, Jesus Christ would come in our place not to cover our sins, 
but to pay for our sins. He is the final sacrifice for sin forever. And all who come to God by faith in Him have eternal life. F.B. Meyer, famous famous Bible teacher, said, He died the sinner's death. He was the sin offering. He was the substitute, the sacrifice, and the satisfaction. What we saw in the end of chapter 3 in that animal was really a foreshadow. That animal was from the Lord. That animal was a substitute for Adam and Eve. And that animal was a blood sacrifice that was a foreshadow of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is from the Lord. God so loved the world he gave that Jesus Christ is our substitute. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For God had made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. And of course that was a blood sacrifice. Jesus Christ was a blood sacrifice. We're not redeemable corruptible things like silver and gold but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. So it's very powerful. I think when you look at that sacrifice in the garden for Adam and Eve, it's a foreshadow of Jesus Christ. And we'll see that as we continue on. God has made the, it has been said this, that God who made the final sacrifice for sin also made the first covering for sin. Well, as we move to chapter 4, the birth of these two sons, Cain and Abel, we see how they approach God, and it's a picture, really, of two ways to come to God. Let's see what happens. Chapter 4, verse 1. Now, the man had relations with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain, and she said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. Now, we begin to get some information. It says the man had relations with his wife. The Hebrew word is the man knows his wife. It's the Hebrew word yada. It means he knows her. And what what the Hebrew word yada not only means like I know you, hi, I know who that is, but it also means to know in a sexual way. That's why if you remember later up in Sodom and Gomorrah, when, when they people surrounded the house and said, bring those men out so that we may know them. And they're talking about yada, to know in a sexual way. It says here the man had relations with his wife. It literally says in Hebrew, the man had had to know or came to know his wife Eve. And so they had sexual relations and she conceived. And gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have gotten a man child with the help of the Lord. The word Cain means the gotten one or the one given. I think they thought right then, this is what we, this is it. Because when God said the seed of woman will crush the head of the serpent, he did not say to them, it will be thousands of years before this happens. They may have assumed as soon as this baby was born, as soon as this child was born, she said, I have gotten a man child with the help of the Lord. It literally says, I've gotten a child with the Lord. From the Lord would be a good way to say it. The given one or the gotten one from the Lord. They may have thought right then that this is the seed of woman that would crush the head of the serpent. This is the promised one. Because there's no indication that they thought, well, it's going to be a long time. I mean, what would you think? God said the seed of woman will crush the head of the serpent. All of a sudden you have a baby and you go, well, that must be it. Well, first of all, uh, it's not the seed of woman. It's the seed of man there. That's why Jesus was born of a virgin and the Holy Spirit, the seed of the woman in that way. And they're going to find out very quickly that he's not a Messiah or a Savior. Let's see what happens. Number two, or verse two. Again, she gave birth to his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of the flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. Now, they got another son. His son is Abel. These two sons are going to take two different paths in approaching God. Now, one is a tiller of the ground. The other is a keeper of the flocks. Now, I want you to understand that as we move along very quickly, when it came to verse 3, or really at the end of verse 2, when it says, one was the keeper of the flocks, and Abel was the keeper of the flocks, and Cain was the tiller of the ground, they're not little boys. They're not just been born. They're men by now. 
They're growing up, and we're going to see their lives. We're going to see what they do. We're going to see how they have a relationship with God. And I want you to understand that what we see in chapter 4, this is not the first time they ever approached God. Look what we find. Again, she, verse 2 again, again she gave birth to a son, Abel, and Abel was a keeper of flocks. Cain was a tiller of the ground. Now watch. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Abel, on his part, also brought the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. We'll stop there. We see that they bring. Now, there's something you have to understand. It says, so it came about in the course of time. It literally says, at the end of the days. That's a Hebrew way of saying, at the end of the week. He's saying, basically, after they had worked six days, that they were resting. That was the pattern that God already gave them. At the end of the days, at the end of the week, they decided to bring their offering. The best we can understand is maybe once a week they would have a time in which they would approach God in worship. And they're going to bring an offering. And so it came about at the course of the time, at the end of the week, at the end of the days, Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. He's bringing an offering. It's in a sense an act of worship. It's some kind of offering. Remember, this is not the first time this has happened. They may have come many times. So he brings some fruit, something from the ground. Abel, on his part, also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. Now, he, he could have got something from the ground. He got something from his flock. I want you to know that Cain could have got something from a flock too, but he didn't. And as you can tell, it says that he brought the firstlings of his flock. You know what that means? It means the best of his flock. He went in there and said, where's my best one? Where's my, there's my best one right there. I'm taking that to God. Now, here's the key. And often people say, what's the problem? What's the deal? One had fruit that he had grown. The other had an animal. Casuto is a man who wrote a commentary on... Genesis. Some say it's the best commentary ever. I think that uh, my seminary professor had the best one. But Casuto said this. One brother went out of his way to please God by faith. The other brother was doing his duty. Works. How do we know that? What's the deal? One is bringing an animal. What's he going to do with that animal when he gets up there? He's going to kill it. What's going what's to come out? Blood. Does that remind us of anything that we've already seen? How did God, what did God do when man sinned? How did, what did God give the picture of? An animal sacrifice. So Abel is bringing an animal sacrifice. He's coming by faith. We'll see it in a little bit. He's coming by faith. He's following the pattern that God gave him. What is Cain doing? He's not bringing an animal sacrifice. And you could say, why aren't you bringing an animal sacrifice? He's saying, I'm bringing something I grew. Well, there's no doubt about that because Hebrews 11.4. One comes by faith. But see, coming by faith is doing what God tells you to do. It's taking God at His word. What had God told them to do? Not so many words, but what we saw back in chapter 3. What did He tell them to do? He said, you're going to approach me. You can only approach me through what? A sacrifice. A blood sacrifice. We already know from Hebrews 9.22. It says, without the shedding of blood, there can be no what? No forgiveness. There always has to be bloodshed. Has to be. So here we see one coming... And, and he brings 
the first of his flock, the other one brings the fruit of the ground. And notice the end of verse 4. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering. Now the word regard means the Lord gazed on. And it means to gaze on with favor. It was like God looked down and went, all right, I like that. I like that. I'm looking at it. It's looking good. You brought something good. That's what it literally says. So he gazed on and had favor. God accepted the offering of Abel. Now, you know, what offering do we bring to God to have acceptance before God forever? Hmm? It's not anything we can bring, but what offering do we have that we can be accepted before God that He finds favor on, that He is satisfied? Jesus Christ, that's exactly it. He's our sacrifice. He's the offering that we approach God on. We come to God saying, I'm coming to you, Lord, through Jesus Christ, the blood sacrifice, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the one who was bruised and wounded and crushed for our iniquities. I'm coming to you because without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness. He is the satisfactory payment, not for our sins only, but for the sins of the entire world. We're not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold, but with the precious Blood of Jesus Christ. The only way we're going to approach God is not through anything that we do, not through anything that we bring, but through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and His bloodshed. So it says that God, the Lord had regard. And by the way, if you notice the word Lord there, it's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. It's the personal name of God. This is a personal thing. This is the personal God meeting with people. And it says, the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering. But notice... But for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. Now, it wasn't favorable. He didn't look on it favorably. When Cain, when Cain said, here it is, God went, he's saying, I'm not looking on it favorably. What's the problem? What's the difference? Well, Abel came by faith. We know that. And Patricia is exactly right. Part of the whole issue is how do you approach God? And do you come by faith or do you come by works? Abel came to God by faith. Hebrews 11.4 talks about by faith. Abel brought a better sacrifice. That's what it literally says in Hebrews 11. A better sacrifice because his had blood in it. His was a sacrifice that he came by faith because he's obeying God. He says, this is what God says to do. So by faith, I'm going to come and do what God says to do. Cain, by the way, brought no blood. Abel brought an animal that would be killed. Hebrews 9.22, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. There has to be. So what was the difference? One came by faith with the sacrifice that God had demanded. The other did not come by faith and did not come with what God had said. Think about this. That's like a person saying, how do you approach God? And you say, I've come to God by trying to live a good life. That's not by faith. That's not what God said. That's a person saying, I'm trying to approach God by works. God says, you can't approach me by works, not by works of righteousness, which you have done. When you believe in Jesus Christ, you say, I'm approaching God by faith in the blood sacrifice, Jesus Christ. And so that's the difference. And and uh, one one believed God and one didn't. One brought a blood sacrifice and one didn't. Cain brought the works of his hands, the fruit of the fields, not by faith, not the sacrifice. The old saying that you can't get blood out of a turnip. You can't. It's not there. To come to God, to approach God, we come on the basis of the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ. All of the Old Testament animal sacrifices that were to cover sins, they were all animal sacrifices to pay for the sin, to cover the sins of mankind. 
At a point in time, the seed came. One born of the virgin, the one born of a woman, the one who came into this world. Galatians 4, 4, in the fullness of time, God brought forth his son, born of a woman, born under law, that he might redeem us as Jesus Christ. He's the blood sacrifice to pay for our sin. For you and I to approach God, the only way we can come is by the blood sacrifice of Christ who's already paid for our sins. Not by our works, not by our goodness, but on the basis of faith and on the basis of the blood sacrifice. For those years that, that, uh, that I didn't go to church, that I wouldn't have gone to church, didn't want to, didn't want to have anything to do with it. But if you said to me, do you believe in God? I said, of course I believe in God. How are you going to get to heaven? Well, I believe that as long as I do more good than bad, I can get to God. I was not approaching God by faith. I was approaching God by my works. I was not approaching God by a blood sacrifice of His Son, Jesus Christ. I was approaching God based on my goodness and works. Technically, I was Cain, bringing what I thought I could do and that God would be pleased. God says, you can't approach me that way. You can only approach me by faith, and you can only come in the sacrifice that I have already provided for you. Notice what happened, verse 5. But for Cain and his offering, God, he had no regard. He did not look favorably on it. So Cain became very angry, and his countenance fell. Now, who's Cain angry at? Who do you think? Huh? You think he's Abel? That's a good thought. Now, let's think about the possibilities. Could he be angry at Abel? Because he says, he brought this, I brought this, God's not happy with mine, God's happy with his, I don't like that, I'm mad there. Who else could he be mad at? He could be mad at God. He'd say, how come you ain't taking my thing? I think my thing is just as good as this thing. Who should he be angry at? Himself. He should say, if you get your act together and do what you're supposed to do, it'd be okay. If you'd come by faith. So it could be that he's mad at, at Abel. It could be that he's mad at God. It could be, who tell him? But he says, he had, so Cain became very angry. And notice he didn't just say Cain became angry. In Hebrew, he became what? Very angry. Very upset. It's that, it, it's the idea of being hot, being mad, being upset. Now we see the grace of God. Notice this part, and his countenance fell. You know what that means? It means his face was changed. You, ever see, you know, people's countenance fail all the time. If everything's going good, you go, hey, and then you, something goes bad, and you go, oh, that's not really going to do, I tell you. And we don't even look the same. And that's what he's saying. His face is different. He said it, it actually, literally, in the Hebrew, it has the idea of a, of a turned-down face. And his countenance failed. His face turned down. He's mad. He's upset. He doesn't like this. But you know what we see? We see the grace of God. We see it all the time. Grace of God in my life. Over and over I kept saying, as long as I try to do more good than bad, I'll be okay. And by the grace of God, He let me wander into that Bible study and they shut the door on me and I heard the truth. And by the grace of God in your life, you put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior. You understood that He is the final sacrifice for sin, that it's a blood sacrifice and it's by faith. We soon see the grace of God here. Do you think that Cain knows what's right. How many times do you think Cain and Abel approach God? At the end of the days? Every week? Look what happens. God shows His grace. Verse 6. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your countenance fallen? Now, does God know? Is it the same when He said to Adam in the garden, Where are you? Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from that tree? There he knows. What does he want him to do? 
wanted him to say, yeah, I did it. What does he want Cain to do? He says, why are you angry? Why is your countenance fallen? He wants him to say, because you won't take what I brought you. And God would say, why not? Why won't I take what you brought me? Cain has not come by faith. He's not come with a substitute of a blood sacrifice. Look what God does. He gives him the opportunity. God is a God of grace. Always a God of grace. If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. And its desire is for you, but you must master it. Now this verse has got a lot in it. Let's, let's look at it a little bit in detail for a second. He said, if you do well. Do well. What, what does he need to do to do well? Huh? To do what is right and, and to come to God by faith. And has, what does he need to bring if he's going to come to God by faith? A, a blood sacrifice. So he says, if you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? Literally it says, well, if you do not do well, will not be lifted up? He said, won't you be lifted up? What will happen if he does well and God goes, good job. He'll go. He'll smile again. Be happy again. But he says, but if you do not do well, if you don't do what you're supposed to do, sin is crouching at the door. Now, that, that's a really powerful thing because when he says sin is crouching at the door, see what he wants to do? We know he knows that obedience will bring peace. Disobedience always brings guilt and anger. He must bring the right sacrifice. And when he says sin is crouching at the door, it's like an animal waiting to give him. Waiting to get him. You know, I, I want to go back for a second. If you do well. You know, for us, Jesus Christ died for us. Romans 5, 8. God dis- demonstrates his love toward us. While we are sinners, Christ died for us. Hebrews 2, 9. He tasted death for every man. Isaiah, he bore our sins. He is our substitute, our sacrifice, and our Savior. If you do what's right, go to the sacrifice. But if you don't do what's right, sin's at the door. And the idea is this... This animal, and he's talking about the flesh, the sin, the pull to do wrong. It's at the door. It's at the door of your life, and it's waiting to just jump on you and to control you. And sometimes that's what happens in our lives, isn't it? Don't we control by the flesh? We're supposed to walk in the Spirit. You'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. But if you fulfill the lust of the flesh, there's all kind of things come out. And so oftentimes that, that flesh is like it's just grabbing us and saying, come over here. And you're going, I don't want to. Okay. And he's saying, it's, it's, it's waiting at the door to pounce on you. You ever felt that way? It's just waiting to get you. People always say, the devil's trying to get me. It's usually not the devil. In fact, it's almost always not the devil. It's your flesh that's waiting to get you. It's the flesh that's pulling you. Derek Kidner said, sin is crouching at the door. It's a metaphor of a wild beast of a man's fallen nature desiring to vary him. Because of the fall, we all come into the world with this pull to do wrong, this pull to sin, this old man, this flesh. I've been, I have a little Bible study that I do, a little small group that we meet on Tuesday nights, and we're doing a study I call 412 Christian Life. It's sort of like, it's the second study after 412 Foundations, and as we go through that, we look at the Christian life, and we spend about three lessons on Romans chapter 6 and Romans chapter 7, and that's really powerful because in Romans chapter 6, he talks about knowing, considering, presenting so you can have victory, but in Romans chapter 7, he talks about that battle that's inside of us, the flesh lust against spirit, spirit against the flesh. Paul says that he realizes this, 
that for he, the one who wants to do right, there is evil inside. And it's true. For every one of us in this room, we love Jesus Christ. We're born again. We're a new creation in Christ. And yet every one of us have that natural bent to sin, that pull to sin, that flesh. And so he says to him that this sin, this nature, this pull to wrong, it's crouching at the door. And notice this next part. And its desire is for you. This, that word desire is only used in one other place in the Bible. Do you remember what it was? It's where... God says to the woman, and your desire shall be for your husband. And we said that word desire means desire to what? Desire to rule. Same word. Only two places used in the Bible, this word. And he says, and it's crouching at the door, and it's desire. Desire to rule is for you. That's what the word means. He's saying your flesh is desiring to rule you, to pull you. And oftentimes our flesh does, does rule us and pull us. And he's saying, you've got a chance right now. You've come before me. You brought the wrong thing. You're all mad. I'm giving you another chance. I'm saying you can correct this thing. You can get it right. You can bring what's right. If you do right, we'll be happy. But let me tell you, if you don't do right, that sin is crouching. That thing is desiring to master you and to pull you and to control you. And we're going to see in just a minute, does the flesh control Cain? In fact... We're going to, and the next verse shows just how much the flesh controls Cain. It says, its desire is for you, but you have to master it. You have to have victory. You have to have victory. The charge to Cain, you have to do right. So you come by faith, blood sacrifice, you'll be accepted. If not, listen, it's going to master you. And there are people all the time who are controlled by their flesh and mastered by their flesh. Now, we don't know what happened. He may have just left. What I picture happening is Cain goes, forget it, and just goes away. Because that's all it says. Because the next verse says, Cain told Abel his brother. We'll talk about that in just a second. Apparently, Cain left without obeying God. And since what was crouching at the door of his life? Sin, the flesh. And what was this desire? To rule over him and to master him. And he has to master it. But I think we know who wins this battle. And Cain goes out of there. Not in fellowship with God in any way, shape, or form. And whether Cain was a believer or not, we don't know. How many times he'd approach God? Maybe he'd approach God by faith before. Maybe he was a believer, but he's not approaching this way. We don't know. But he talks to his brother. Notice verse 8. Cain told Abel his brother. What do you think he told him? He may have said that. I think he told him, you know, I'm not very happy right now because I took the I took some best stuff from the ground. He didn't like it. He liked your stuff. Maybe back what you said a while ago. He's pretty mad. He may be mad at, at Abel. And he's up there saying, I don't know why you had to show me up, why you had to do that. And you can see Abel saying, listen, listen, listen. If you just do right... We all know we're supposed to come to God by faith. And we're supposed to come to God by the sacrifice. And what did God tell us to do? He said, bring a sacrifice. You didn't bring a sacrifice. If you'll just do what's right, God will be happy with you. Cain told Abel his brother. We will never know exactly what they said. But I can hear Abel saying, just take the sacrifice. Come to God. Do what he says. Obey him. But what happens? As he said, let's go take a walk. And so they took a walk. 
It came about that when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. And why did he kill him? Because, you know, they may have got out in the field and they were talking. And Abel said, if you just do what's right, you know what's right. Don't tell me what to do. Don't tell me what's right. Well, listen, all he wanted was a blood sacrifice. You know that. That's how we approach God. It's a picture of our Messiah, of our Savior. All we have to do is come to God by a blood sacrifice. Don't tell me what to bring. All you had to do was bring a blood sacrifice. You want a blood sacrifice? I'll give you a blood sacrifice. What did he do? He killed him. That's a blood sacrifice. You can see him saying, God, you happy now? You want a blood sacrifice? I got you a blood sacrifice. Maybe then what happened? It came about when they feel that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Rose up has an idea of an attack of anger. This is the first recorded murder in the Word of God. Cain, in his anger, in his envy, killed his brother. You can almost see him saying, you want blood? I'll give you blood. 1 John chapter 3, verse 12 says that, <clears throat> why did he kill? It says, because Cain's, his own works were evils and his, uh, evil and his brother's works were righteousness. 1 John 3, 12. His own works were evil and his brother's righteous. Contrast the evil and righteousness. Now, we can say, and I put it up here. Two kinds of people, one who comes to God, one who rejects God. I'm not necessarily saying believer and unbeliever. There may be. It may be that Cain is an unbeliever. We don't know how many times all this happened. It could be that he is a believer, but he doesn't approach God by faith at this time. But there's one who comes to God and there's one who rejects God. I think I've got another slide, I think. Is there another one? Or is that it? Is that another one? Yeah. One, some, one is called the seed of woman, the other called the seed of the serpent. There are a lot of people who say that Abel is a picture of the seed of woman, where Cain is a picture of the seed of the serpent that's going to be battling all the way. So there are a lot of people who hold to the fact that Cain may not be a believer. I don't know, because I don't know how many times they've approached God. I don't think this is the only time they ever approached God, because they're grown men, because we're going to see it. And we'll see what happens because when God comes to Cain, we'll see it next week and says, what, where's your brother? And he said, I'm not my brother's keeper. He said, I think you are. The blood of your brother cries to me from the ground. And so he sends him out and he gets married. And we say, oh, so they're not little boys. You know, they're grown men. Cain kills his brother. We're going to stop here because what we see is that physical death. First one that was recorded, the first physical death in the sense of, of, of murder, especially Cain kills his brother. How does God deal with all this? Just as a little foreshadow, verse 9 says, And the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? Let me ask you a question. Does God know where Abel is? I mean, God asks a lot of questions. And in fact, if you didn't know, you'd say, You know, I thought you said God knows everything. He's always asking these questions. He knows everything. He wants them to say. And Abel said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Are you your brother's keeper? You are. You know that. You mean I think you are. You may say, it doesn't matter. I do my own thing. Everybody's got their own life. I got my own life. We are not put here to live your own life. We are put here to represent the living God and touch other lives for Jesus Christ. So it's a whole different way of looking at life. Next time we'll see how God deals with all this. What have we seen? We've seen Cain and Abel offered sacrifices. God accepted Abel's, but Cain's didn't because one was not by faith and no blood. We see God gave Cain the second chance, and he rejected it. He rose up and killed Abel. Let me give you the application. Very simple ones. First one is realize there is only one way to approach God. There's really only one way. 
We come, I think I've got it right here. We come by Christ, come by Christ the substitution, His blood sacrifice. We come simply by faith. He is the one who died for us and paid for sin. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We can't come by our works or goodness. If you're going to come by your works or goodness, you've got to be perfect. Because, but the wages of sin is death. We've all sinned. So we need a Savior. And the only way to come is through Jesus Christ. God has that provision. He is the blood sacrifice. And by shedding His blood, by the death and resurrection, just what we saw this morning, it's amazing how throughout the Scripture it's the same thing over and over again. The Messiah is going to come. The Messiah is going to die. He's going to shed His blood. He's going to pay for sin. He's going to rise again and conquer death. He's going to be the Savior and Messiah and the King. And anyone who will believe in Him will have life. It's all the way through. Believing brings life. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things are written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know you have what? Eternal life. He's the substitute. We trust in Jesus Christ. To come to God, there's only one way. Through Jesus Christ. That's why the Bible says, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. That's the only way you can come. There's a second thing I want you to think about. And just, just a kind of a side thing here is just deal with the anger. Anger always destroys. When we get angry, we get angry with God. We get angry with others. And it's so easy. Because a lot of times we're angry with ourselves. We're angry with God. We're angry with others. And when you get angry and you don't deal with it, there's bitterness. And when you don't deal with that, it becomes depression. So deal with anger. Confess it. Forsake it. Forgive. There are times that people make us mad. There are times that things go wrong. There are times that we sin and we get mad at God. We get mad at ourselves. What do we do? We confess our sin. He's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. We get mad at somebody else. We need to forgive them. Release them from the debt. It's for our own good. May we come to God through the perfect blood sacrifice, Jesus Christ. And may we deal with anger. In our lives. Let's pray. And if we got any questions or comments, we can, we can do that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a great night. Thank you for this passage. Thank you, Lord, as we see the two ways to come to you. The one, one by faith and the other by works. One coming with the blood sacrifice, the other coming by the works of the hands. And Lord, we know that the only way we can approach you is through Jesus Christ, the final sacrifice for sin forever, the blood sacrifice, the Lamb of God who, who takes away the sin of the world, the Lamb of God who shed his blood. And so, Lord, thank you. That is not our goodness, our works, our righteousness, or anything that we do that we can approach you because you are pleased through Jesus Christ and that you have found favor in him and his sacrifice. And we approach you through the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ by faith in our Savior. Thank you, Lord. Lord, as we see the anger in this passage, Lord, we pray that we know that we do get angry. We can be angry and sin not, but many times when we're angry, we sin. May we deal with it, may we confess it, and may we forgive others so that we won't be angry and won't have that have those, uh, that whole situation. Lord, use us for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.